defining episode of the Rainbow Pagans podcast. Pour yourself a cup of tea. Light the incense. Sit back. and gentlemen boys and girls welcome back to the greyhorn pagans podcast um it's been a while since the last show since the last recording um last one i did was the valentine's recording uh i've been busy starting a new job and new study and all but we're back and we are here with Miss Rissa, Rissa Miller, who does tea leaf reading and smoke reading, uh, something that many of us probably only know from the, the Harry Potter movie. Um, Rissa, thank you for being here. Um, introduce yourself, quick introduction. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here. I love talking about the things I love doing. So it's wonderful to introduce you to Tassiography and Capnomancy, which are tea leaf reading and smoke reading. Both are very old forms of divination, and I love sharing them. Yeah, I honestly wasn't familiar with it. I mean, being in the more uh pagan circles norse pagan germanic pagan we do a lot of uh rune reading or tarot reading of course um i knew tea leaf reading was a thing mm -hmm. i just never actually met someone who who does that so how does tea okay. leaf reading work and where does it come from and why tea <laughs> All right, let's start at the beginning of your questions. How does it work? Yes. So um, there are different uh, tassiographers who prefer to do it slightly differently. With It's sort of um, an open-ended form of divination. So when you're thinking about your tarot cards, right? Um, if I say you're looking at card number 13 in the major arcana, you know that that's death. And you immediately can catalog in your mind the various meanings of the death card. Tea leaf reading doesn't really work like that. It's much more intuitive and personalized to each person. So if I look in your cup and I see, for example, a cat with its back arched up, I have my own personal meaning for when I see a cat. It's one of the first symbols I put a definition to. However, it could be that you have a cat at home that's mad. For some reason, there's been a change in the household. Um, or it you know, it could mean that you're excited for Halloween and that's how that symbol is representing for you. You have to sort of put it in context of everything else you're seeing in the cup. And um, it uh, starts with, you know, a cup of tea. I have one here. And as we talk, I was going to drink it down and show you how I turn it and what it looks like. So my process is once the cup is turned, I do a drawing. And I have some sample drawings here to show you, and hopefully the camera will pick them up. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's that's a lot. There's a lot going on in there. It's certainly not the busiest cup I've ever seen. Here's one with a little bit less happening. Oh, yeah. 
But um, that's my personal process. I like for all of the folks who seek from me to walk away with something that's sort of like their map. Um, they can use it as a guide going forward. They have this uh, piece of art that will then lead them forward through the reading from the cup. I know over the years when I have gone to see uh, divination artists of different kinds, be them card readers or palm readers, half of the time I get so enraptured in listening to them that later I'm like, what, what were they talking about? I literally don't remember <laughs> half of it. And um, this takes that, that question away because, you know, uh, the other fantastic thing about symbols is that symbols meanings can change over time. So, uh, you know, say for example, someone sees a, a fox in their cup. It's very common then for people to see a fox in real life. And I, I, I will tell them like, that's, that's your cue. You're on the right path. You're getting these signs that were in your cup. You're, you know, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing or you're heading down nips and alternatively, they could be heading down the path they didn't want to be heading. So they know to make a pivot. And, uh, the, the, the process is kind of simple. You drink the cup of tea. The tea is loose in the cup. You turn it, which is honestly the trickiest part of this whole process for the person seeking. And then the symbols are either, depending on how the person does it, um, if they're either inside the cup or in the saucer. Now, I was telling you before we started, there are coffee readers as well. And yeah. coffee grounds are frequently read on the saucer instead of in the cup. Now it varies um, because you, it, it really depends on how the reader likes to read. I like to read out of the cup. That's how I taught myself many decades ago. And other people learn on the saucer. It doesn't make either system right or wrong. They're just unique in their approach. So you can read tea, coffee, wine sediment if you have unfiltered wine. Um, some people in a more modern setting use juice grounds like you would get from a fresh juice hmm. and, um, of course, cacao grounds. That was a long answer to your question. Did I hit everything? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great. Um, it's interesting there's... that you can actually do it from wine. I never mm -hmm. even realized that. Absolutely. I've never tried it. Um, where I, I'm not sure where you all are in the world, but where I am in this part of the United States, people really like uh, filtered wine. So there's no sediment yes, in do. it. And okay, it's super clear wine, but um, throughout Europe and South America, unfiltered wine is more available. And um, mm. some, some wine experts say that if wine is very excellent, it doesn't need to be filtered. And um, it's just an American preference to have clear wine. So it is. I, yeah, I can't actually get my hands on the kind of wine that could be red. And well, I, one day I'm going to get to Europe and get some. We can have Fox and do some because he lives in Europe and I live in the States. Yeah. I would I'm, love I'm... to get a bottle of unfiltered wine to try reading. That would be amazing. I didn't even know there was such a thing as filtered or unfiltered wine. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a man, give me coffee, give me beer and I'm happy. <laughs> And I think that's where we're vastly different too, because you drink your coffee, I drink my tea and my wine and my mead. <laughs> yeah. But um, so where does tea leaf reading come from? How did it how did it get started? No, it's well, I can tell you that nobody knows the answer to that for sure. And mm. um so I'm also super nerdy. 
And uh, during the 2020 lockdown, um, a lot of the big universities allowed classes to be online for free as an audit. And the, um, the Department of Ancient Religions at Harvard offered a history of divination. So I took Whoa. it. <laughs> I was like, it's free. I'm ready. And tassiography was one of the systems of divination they discussed. So I was able to learn a lot about my, my, my form that I work in and uh, nobody knows where it actually originated. And they think it could have come from Asia, from China. It could have come from India. It could have come from the Middle East, more like Turkey where Constantinople might have been, but nobody's Mm. sure. Um, There's no, like early written records of tassiography. Um, it just, they think it started perhaps whenever tea drinking began, which was about 3000 BC um, that we know of that's recorded roughly. Wow. And um, nobody's sure exactly when divination with tea became a common thing. Now there is a lot of history in the Middle East in um what was Mesopotamia, of um, kings and emperors having divination done with coffee grounds. And then it sort of filtered from the top down into society where more and more people were wanted it. It was in demand, right? And from there, it traveled the Silk Road to Europe and from Europe to America. Now, it yeah. was... Of course, during the Victorian era, the spiritualists, um, that's when it became hugely popular. It kind of reached its pinnacle moment, except for perhaps Harry Potter. Um, It reached its pinnacle moment in um, tea rooms and tea parlors throughout Europe and North America. And uh, folks started regularly doing divination with tea. So because tea was first commercially available then as well, because it also came in on the Silk Road. Yeah. So that's the history we have of it. Um, more in a more contemporary setting, uh, there was a show called Friends and Phoebe has a tea leaf reading in that show. And yeah. then, of course, Professor Trelawney in Harry Potter sees the Grimm. Um, So tea leaf reading is considered a form of scrying because you are looking into a surface, right? Just like a crystal ball or scrying with water. It is considered Mm -hmm. scrying. And if you would watch Professor Trelawney, a lot of her divination is scrying. She's using crystals. She's using tea leaves. Um, It definitely seems to be one of her things that she feels comfortable in doing divination. She also just outright has visions. But um, Then um, after that, there was a series of books called Outlander. And in the very beginning of (laughs) in the very beginning of Outlander, Claire has a tea leaf reading and it is predicted that she will travel a long distance, but stay in one place, which, of course, sets us up for the whole story. I have a lot of catching up to do with all. Yes, you do. There's seven series, dear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I guess I should catch up on Harry Potter as well. I mean, Fireface, the the Potter hat, Potthead. How do you call it again? Potterhead. You say I think yeah. it's Potterhead. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in the I'm books, a... people say Pothead with two T's, but in actuality, it's Potterhead. I mean, when I think Potthead, I think Dutchies. That's different. <laughs> that's di- that's what that means something different. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> so. How did you come into um, tessiography? I think it's a beautiful word. It is a beautiful word. So I, uh, sideways, how about that? 
for truth. So as a little girl, I used to play a game with my dad he called scribble art. My dad went to college to be a fine artist and drawing was a big part of my life growing up. And in this game, this is how I learned seeing to, to preface this. Um, we would each close our eyes and scribble all over a page and then trade drawings. And the object of the game was to find the pictures in the chaos. So um, mm. yeah, this is how I learned to scry. <laughs> and I can pretty much apply scrying to almost everything because of this years of training as a child to do it. You don't have to have years of training as a child to do it. It just makes it very natural for me. So that said, I would trade these drawings with my dad, and I actually have one of his here. This is a one he did recently, and my, my dad's still around, and we still both draw. This is one of his drawings, oh. and um, isn't it fun? It's a great game, and if you're ever feeling kind of like mentally stuck or creatively stuck, it's a great, fantastic exercise to sort of spring you back in i love it and i still do it to this day and i've taught it to many people so i'd like to give that to my mama's advice because that speaks true right now yeah it's scribble art is a fantastic way to sort of look differently at everything and i truly believe that being able to see what's in the chaos around you um to see the signs to see the symbols to see the beauty is a wonderful skill that anyone can acquire, but you, you have to actually do it and you have to put time and thought and your intuition into it to make it a natural habit, but it's doable for everyone. So that's how I started learning to see. Now, um, I had tarot cards first and like most kids, uh, because that was something that was given to me, I rebelled against it initially. They sat, they sat and collected dust for a while. I do still have those old cards. They're over 50 years old and they've been in my family a long time. And I use them now. But at that time, <laughs> I, was, I was who I was. I was a teenager. But yeah. um, I had a fantastic gift from my mother then. And she gave me a container of loose tea and a little metal tea ball. Now, uh, back in that day, I'm 40, I'm almost 48. My birthday's on Tuesday. So happy birthday. Happy thank birthday. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. So almost 30 years ago, actually over 30 years ago, when this was going down, uh, there was no internet and getting loose tea was really special in the small town where I grew up. It was something that had to be mail ordered. It wasn't a common thing like it is now you can get everything on the internet that you want. Yeah. But um, that was not true then. So it was a really special gift. So when I was drinking the tea the very first time, feeling very sophisticated and elegant, um, <laughs> my tea ball broke open and the tea went loose in the cup. I wasn't about to throw it out. So I drank it anyway. Um, the tea ball did end up in the trash. <laughs> that thing was a total piece of crap. But, um, oh, excuse me. I probably shouldn't curse on YouTube. No, but, no, that's, um, that's funny. <laughs> Um, it, it was not a high quality item. How about I say it that way? And um, I continued to drink the tea that way. And I would look into the cup and see pictures. And my mom said, that's the kind of divination people do. And she's like, what else do you see? So I started keeping a notepad, just a regular spiral notepad. Um, and I would, the first one I saw was a cat. And I, I would draw the cat and then I would write my impressions. And over time, the notebook filled up. And it became my symbol dictionary. 
And of course, it's long since been committed to memory. And I've added to it with like literature and art history classes, learning that symbolism, learning folklore symbolism, learning cultural symbolism of, of there's so many symbols. You know, I always tell people there's nobody that knows all the symbols because all over the world they're different and there can be unique symbols to each person. There's a, a character in a book called The Da Vinci Code. He's Dr. Robert Langdon. He has a PhD in symbology. So if that gives you any- nerd. Sorry. <laughs> right? So I, um, to give you an indication of how many symbols there are in the world, you can get a PhD in it. So I know the symbols I know. And when I read a cup, there are almost always symbols that don't apply to any definition because they are unique to that individual. My favorite example, one time I, I saw a Sasquatch with a musical instrument and I, I was sure I was wrong. I was like, that can't be a thing. <laughs> I can't be right. And I was like, Bigfoot doesn't play music that, that I've ever heard of anyway. And I was just like, I'm going to make a total fool out of myself when I say this to this woman. But I trust my intuition and I did it. And turned out that was her boyfriend and he likes to dress up like a Sasquatch and play in a band. So my intuition was correct. And I just had to trust myself and the symbols that were given to me in the cup. And it was right. So uh, that's just one example of many that I, I could have never, I could have never guessed and no symbol dictionary or class could ever teach. No, that's, that's definitely not something you expect. No. Um, that's that puts some weird weird image in my head for some reason he has a saxophone like i can imagine bigfoot like with a just oh a gosh, saxophone I'm picturing my cousins <laughs> all over again growing up oh my gosh thank you <laughs> <laughs> i mean my cousins are hairy so you guys just like totally sparked spark that memory <laughs> sorry love <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll give you another one to replace it. Uh, one time there was a picture in a cup of an iguana drinking a martini. And once again, I had that moment of doubt. And I was like, that can't be right. It just can't be right. But the gentleman I was reading the cup for, he just started laughing. He goes, we call my mother the reptile because she's so cold blooded. He's like, and she drinks martinis every day. He's like, so that's her. <laughs> he goes, and that makes complete sense to me. So, yeah. Symbols can be very personal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. And literally, my, my tarot deck will never give me that. It, it, it just won't. It doesn't have that kind of stretch. So that's why I like the Oracle, too, because it kind of gives you that stretch and it gives mm -hmm. you what you need to kind of push you in that direction that you need. Yep. Tarot is very rigid and very, like... No offense to our tarot reading guru in our group, but to me, tarot is very rigid. And that's why, like, you talking about tea leaves, I'm like, I really want to learn more. <laughs> well, let me show you how I turn the cup. So I finished this cup of tea. I am drinking Earl Grey tea today. It's one of my favorites. I do prefer mm. to read black tea simply because it's easier to see in the cup. There is no other reason than a practical, pragmatic one. And um, I have over the years read many different teas and Darjeeling, Earl Grey, uh, chai teas, they are just easy to see and they make a nice clean drawing for me. Now, um, if, if I ever get the question about personalizing tea, absolutely. 
you know, if you are really looking for a love reading, you, you might want to put rose petals in your tea or um, hibiscus, but um, they will change the color of the tea and they will look different in the cup. Sometimes they're very beautiful. Sometimes they're very messy. Um, so before I get too far off track, I'm going to show you what I do. So I do use these old fashioned teacups. I do like one with a curved bottom. I find that a mug simply doesn't work for this purpose because of the sharp corners on the bottom. Now, when I'm drinking a cup of tea, I usually go with something bigger. I, I like a big cup of tea to get me going me in the day. Yeah, this is very dainty. Um, most of my cups are vintage. I do like cups with a, a, a history for my work. Saucer's not right now. What's that? You are my favorite person right now. Oh. <laughs> so um, I do. This is a set. Um, it does have its saucer, but that's not required. You can use any small plate to turn a cup. Now, um, some people don't use a napkin. I don't like my cups to get scratched, so I have a napkin here. And you just kind of sit that on top like a hat, like this. And then the next thing is, is important. You grasp firmly. <laughs> um, I did drink down the tea. There's about a tablespoon of uh, water left in the bottom with the loose tea. And so from here, while grasping firmly, I'm going to swish it around. Like I big circles. It doesn't matter to me if you go counterclockwise or clockwise, or you shake it or you do this or whatever. Um, a lot of tea leaf readers do have rules about how they like their cup turned. I like it to feel authentic for the person turning the cup. Um, I have read for people who are older and they don't have like a swing in their shoulder anymore and they can't make circles. I don't want them to feel like they, you have to turn it nine ways counterclockwise and they can't do it. I, I don't feel like that feels good and I want this to be for everyone. So I say move the cup in any way that feels right to you, that feels authentic to you receiving your messages. But the one thing there is a rule about, once you get to turning it, you have to go fast. You have to turn it quickly because if you let the water resettle, it will do what I say is washing the cup. So from there, I always tap the water out and, oh, that's an interesting cup today. This is the cup today. Mm. So this has a very open future and uh, I can tell you I'm in my cup is initially showing up. There's a number two. There's an elephant. Um, I do read the 3D impressions in the tea. Um, and I also, a lot of tea leaf, there's controversy, controversy over whether you read the dark parts of the cup where the tea is or the light parts where there's open space. I read both. I'm not picky about how the messages come. I feel like every person getting a tea leaf reading is an individual. And based on who they are and how they view the world, their messages will come to me differently in the way that I can perceive for them. Mm -hmm. So I am open to both positive and negative space in the cup. I am open to even tea that sometimes lands on the outside and I read all of the large and small shapes in a cup. The one nice thing about doing tea leaf readings virtually is that people send me their tea cup as pictures and then I can throw them in Photoshop and zoom in like 500%. <laughs> and, oh yeah. It's awesome because I see a lot more than the naked eye will ever pick up, even with my glasses, even with an additional magnifying glass. Um, I always call it my spyglass. Um, I, I can't see as much as I can with a computer. Like that, that Photoshop trick. 
it it shows so much more and that's like how you end up with a drawing like this first one that was really really full yeah because i i could simply see more because i was using the computer yeah technology does make certain things a lot easier and it funny does. how it's also used like even with tea leaf reading i'd never imagined like using photoshop you know zooming in like 500 times but it totally makes sense you can see so much more in the the fine details and really yeah. make out the shapes that's what well, i always say ancient divination modern outlook hmm. so I like that yeah uh we have a question in the chats it's a a long one do you think that any type of graphical appearance in your life like the clouds or a stain of wine have a purpose Mm. Okay, that is an interesting question. And I think the answer absolutely can be yes. You know, um, you can overdo it looking for meaning. Uh, you know, if I trip walking up the stairs, it doesn't mean I'm on the wrong path. Sometimes I just <laughs> don't pick up my feet or I'm wearing the wrong and the most impractical shoes ever. So I don't look for meaning in things like that. I do trust my intuition, but yes, there are definitely moments when you can look into the cloud or into your uh, spilled wine and see a symbol that couldn't reach you any other way. And it is also my experience that symbols rule they will reach out to you more than once. Um, and they kind of tend to get louder if you ignore them. So mm. if you get a sign one time and you're like, hmm, I'm not sure if that was a sign or I, I just saw something in the clouds because I was ignoring my boss while I was supposed to be listening, and you move on, it will come again. It will definitely come again. Um, so they start out very subtly and they tend to get louder and that's how you, you can definitely know until you reach that spot where you, you trust your intuition thoroughly and your guides can practically whisper to you. So, um, you know, some people also practice, uh, you know, pendulum dowsing or things like that. Uh, it can be a great double check. Um, you can grab your pendulum and when I don't have my pendulum, I use any old thing. I'm looking around my desk to see if I had to do a dowsing right now. What would I do? I usually have one here. And today, of course, because I want one, it's not here. <laughs> oh, but you know what? If I had to ask that question right now, I would use this USB that is hanging. Right, I would say, works. was that a sign? And it's, it's swinging yes real wide right now for some reason. Um, but sometimes it will tell me no. Sometimes it will say, no, that was not a sign. But you can always double check and ask in a way that feels authentic to you. Hmm. Did yeah, that I answer remember. the question? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I remember that being a uh, like a fun game as a, you know, as a child or just, you know, on a bright summer's day, like looking at the clouds and trying to like see shapes or whatever you know oh that looks like an elephant that looks like a bunny laying an egg or something uh, yes I still well clouds with my mom and my kiddo because that's like something we all enjoy yes so if we're it stuck is. in traffic we still do it and, it's and there have been times i have very clearly seen things in clouds and i there was no question in my mind that i was being shown something 
And then there are times when I'm like, oh, the clouds just look lovely and they're passing by. So. Mm. But yeah, um, cloud what? gazing is definitely a form of divination that has been with humanity for many thousands of years. Yeah, I think. So like just unconsciously, a lot of people have done divination just by looking at the clouds and recognizing certain flipping a coin. Shape. Yeah. Oh, really? Even that? That is considered divination, flipping a coin in the United States. Every time they begin a major league uh, sports game and they flip a coin, they are practicing divination. It's also when you ask the yes or no question, hun, like, um, let's say, am I going to see Steinstein? I'll flip the coin and if it's heads, it's yes. If it's tails, it's no. Yep. Yep. The yes or no divination is it has a a long and, and lustrous history has been practiced by kings, emperors, empresses throughout time and everybody else too. It's interesting too, because oh. like it even like oh. would dictate if a surrounding area would go and invade another place. They would flip it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it would be yeah, the world's... luck of the flip of the coin to see if they're invading today or not. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah divination leaders. could stop a war in in history. Yeah. Yeah, it's stop so cool. stars. I definitely want to learn more from you, Marissa, because this is really. <clears throat> you spoke on a lot of things that I need to have answers to in my own personal life. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. So one of the, you, go ahead. No, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was gonna say you briefly, I, we briefly mentioned that I read smoke and I feel like this is another thing that's accessible to everyone. And um, if you can burn incense in your home, you can try it. And the most amazing thing I have learned doing smoke reading over the years is that smoke will answer you in real time. Um, it will literally answer you as you ask the questions. And uh, my screen just went very dark. Um, the sun just went in. Sorry oh. about that. But <laughs> um, okay. speaking of clouds. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> speaking of clouds. So um, capnomancy is a very old form of, it's in the family of pyromancy, right? Fire divination. And when you're looking at pyromancy, you can read flames, you can read embers, you can read smoke, and you can read ash. So all of those things, if you approach them with intention, um, you know, whenever I am about to start any of my practices, I make it clear I'm not just drinking my cup of tea. I am starting a divination. Um, when I'm not just burning incense because, you know, the dog farted, I am practicing divination. And I speak my intentions out loud. I know that not everybody is comfortable with that, but I, I do talk to my guides and ancestors verbally. And that is a big part of my practice. And um, it's probably more for me than them but uh, it is just how I do it. And so when I'm looking at smoke, um, so say you're practicing it with uh, the incense, the smoke will literally change forms and answer. There are sometimes yeah. faces in the smoke. There are figures in the smoke. There are initials in the smoke. And then there's the sort of code of smoke. Like, does it go straight up? Does it break up? Does a ladder form? Um, does confusion come out? 
it, it will literally answer you in real time. It's very intuitive. And uh, the other way I practice it is with candles. Now it's a little trickier with candles. Oh, there goes the clouds, I'm, I'm bright again. Um, because a lot of very nicely made candles now have smokeless wicks. And uh, that's a real thing. And uh, you have to find a candle that will still blow smoke. So um, hit the dollar store or somewhere like that and find a, find a candle that will still send up smoke. Um, Safety first, whether you're using incense or candles, always be careful handling fire. Uh, stay away from drafts. Stay away from open windows. Um, they will change the reading. You need yeah. to be in a place with still air. And it's helpful to have a dark background like the one behind me. Um, or even just a big piece of black paper that's far enough away it won't catch on fire. So when I use the smoke, oh, and just to show you, they will catch on fire. Um, oh, this is one yeah. of my smoke drawings. And um, I don't put the candle against the page when I'm collecting soot. It's about that far away. Um, but the flame leapt up and uh, caught this page on fire. And it can happen that fast. So the surface I use for smoke reading is tile. That way it, it can't easily ignite. A sink works too. That way you can immediately put your fire out. Um, oh, yeah. But this is one of my uh, more full smoke drawings made with soot from the candle. And oh, wow. it, there's all kinds of shapes and forms and patterns and symbols. You could see a person up here. Um, there's, there's all kinds of things that come out in smoke. And um, the soot collection is kind of like the tea drawing. It gives someone a um, piece to carry forward and use as a guide. And I always tell people, keep looking at it. It will tell you more over time. So I, yeah. like I, I think when you want to start learning scrying, smoke is a great and affordable place to begin. Um, you don't have to buy a crystal ball or, you know, invest in vintage teacups, which can be expensive. Um, just start <laughs> with some incense or a cheap candle <laughs> and that, that smokes and um, begin looking. So here's my question then. I have people around me that I live with who are very sensitive to yeah. incense smoke yep. and smoke in general. Is there something that you would recommend for someone who can't do smoke readings at home? If you want to learn scrying, uh, a bowl of water, simple water gazing. Um, I would get a dark colored bowl, black, navy blue, dark purple, whichever color sort of feels best to you to learn scrying. And I would put it in a dim room now, um, I don't scry in water or mirrors back to back with other work because it is very difficult for your eyes. It will tax your eyes and movies will never tell you that, but practical experience will tell you um, it, it's, it's hard on the eyes. I would say when you're starting scrying, don't do it for more than five minutes at a time before you look away and give your eyes a break. I know this sounds like pragmatic advice, but it is important to honor your body as well as your intuition. So um, practice with that bowl of water in a dim room. You can also get um, what they call a black mirror. And um, you don't have to get polished obsidian. That's hundreds of dollars. Um, let's, if you have that budget, go for it. They're beautiful. The obsidian mirrors made, they're gorgeous. Um, but if that's not in your budget, uh, get an old picture frame that you like and paint the glass black. Let it dry completely 
and then put the back on it, wipe all the dust and the fingerprints off the front of the glass and use that as your black mirror. Use it, use it in a dim room. And again, just look for the shapes and patterns that move across it, just like in the water. And that's how you will begin learning scrying and seeing symbols. You could use clouds too. Um, you could go to a still quiet pond or lake. The ocean is kind of busy for this. I mean, I would put that at advanced level to scry in the ocean, but um, ponds, pond lakes, things like that, again. that hold still a good place to begin and free as, as long as you can walk or, or ride your bike there. I do. I have 10 acres and it's like literally at the back part of my property. Perfect. Perfect. I have actually um, heard the, like the smoke reading with incense before. And if the smoke like um, kind of flickers, like a, a candle flame mm -hmm. uh, will do, it's like, uh, what was it again? Like something negative is, is near or something like a negative spirit or whatever. It's, it's, I'm That's why very, I think on you, like, honey, very... when you light yours and it attacks you, quote unquote, Oh, and I'm yeah. like, you need to clear your energy because it's attacking you. That's why I'm picking on you because it's attaching itself to you and it's telling you you need to clear. It is important to do any divination work in a cleared space and invite in only the guides that you want there and not just whoever in the spirit world's hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Now with me, it's uh, burning incense. It's almost like sitting at a campfire. It doesn't matter where I sit. It's always blowing my way. It sounds like my mom, because like whenever I'm doing um, Native American stuff, like with the peace pipe and it's doing the sage, it does not matter what direction she's sitting in. It will attack her. Hmm. Give me um, a moment. My dogs are barking. Guys, hold on. They want course. to join in. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm I'm surprised my cat hasn't uh, hasn't joined in. Usually, he is all over me and uh, wants to be a. Uh, oh, I am gonna mute Firefay for a moment. Um, oh, is it because little <laughs> dude's barking? Sorry. No, it's it, I. I don't know what you're doing, but rustling, bustling. You are rustling, bustling about. It's that's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my cat is always, um, he always wants to be a part of it. He's already been dubbed my, uh, my kitty co-hosts. Um, <laughs> but I guess he is, he's at peace now. He's just, uh, just sleeping. Um, you give, uh, like lectures and teachings as well in this divination. I do. Uh, how did that how did that get started because that seems to be the road so many people take when they you know start writing or start really um like really in, immersing themselves in one topic like everybody starts teaching and i mean i i love to learn so um how did you get started and how long have you been doing it for Okay, so I I initially didn't want to teach because um, I feel like it's hard to teach someone to trust their intuition. 
And that's not a practice that I can give you. It's something you have to arrive at naturally. And it doesn't matter what kind of divination you want to do. You have to trust yourself. And so I, I initially balked at the idea because I said, literally, no one can teach that. Um, but I, I had so many requests. People wanted to know more about tea leaf reading. They wanted to understand it. And I, I do believe knowledge is power. And um, before I started teaching this, I, I have been a tour guide and a, a college professor and teaching has been part of my life journey. I, mm -hmm. like I said, knowledge is power. And I, it is also one of my personal missions to dispel superstition. So I have always taught that kind of topic. And so from there, I sat down and I dissected my own system. I tried to analyze it. Like, how can I put this into the pieces that someone could learn from me and arrive from there at their own system? So that's how I broke down the lessons. You know, I teach people the basics, how to pick a teacup, how to decide what kind of tea they want to use, um, whether, what size tea leaves they want to use. And, um, I explain why if you put honey or milk in the tea leaves get clumpy and that doesn't work. You know, just all these very basic steps in the, the process. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podcasting Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy. So from there, I got onto the more esoteric workings. And if anybody has any divination background coming into tea leaf reading, it, it helps. Um, if they have any education in like art and literature symbolism, it helps. Um, it just gives them a, a springboard to jump from. It doesn't make it any easier to learn something as esoteric as what could this bumblebee mean in this cup when it's sitting next to a koala and a burrito? Like you have to figure that stuff out on your own. You have to figure that out for each client as you go. That's where trusting your intuition becomes a bigger piece. So uh, from there, I, I gave them, I, I give out like my basic symbols and what they have meant to me over the years. And there's some symbols that recur in many cups and they almost always carry the same meaning. So a, a great example of that is in the, right before the pandemic lockdown happened in 2020, every cup I read for three months going into that had a squirrel in it. And my reading on a squirrel is to save your nuts and seeds that you have to conserve your resources. And the fact that every cup had that, I was just like, why do all these cups have this? This feels weird. Like this is showing up in everybody's cup, no matter their gender, their economic status. It, it was consistent in every single one. And uh, of course, then I found out why, you know, <laughs> that, that became obvious. But yeah. um, 
people often say, did you predict the pandemic? No, I don't predict world events. I'm not Nostradamus and that's not my intention. <laughs> um, but um, I, I did have a clue that something was going on because of that squirrel showing up in dozens of different people's cups from all over. And so symbols like that can be universal. Um, symbols like um, what money looks like can be universal. Um, things like that that show up in people's cups can be a learned set of symbols, but then you have to learn to intuitively interpret the rest and put together a storyline. So I think the thread that runs across everything I do, whether you're talking about my work as an editor or you know doing divination as a seer or teaching, I'm a storyteller across the line. I mean, my writing, everything, I'm a storyteller. And when I read a cup, I look for the entire story of someone's life. Um, not just, you know, the, it, the advice for right now, but the past, present and possible future outcomes, as well as why, why do we feel this way about it? What's really going on for you? All of those are factors that I look at in a cup. And teaching that kind of awareness is just kind of like, this is how I do it. You're going to have to figure out what works for you for something that's so personalized as this. And it's not like memorizing a set of tarot cards, um, which I, I think has its limitations too. Uh, I, do, I do know people who blend their tarot cards with oracle cards and other various objects that aren't even <laughs> cards. Um, I, a fantastic uh, reader I know has some tarot cards, some oracle cards, and then some homemade pieces that are drawn or photographs that he uses as his full set of oracle. Um, mm. Yeah, but then it becomes much more of an intuitive practice rather than he memorized 78 cards. Um, the same with tea, leading, tea leaf reading. You can get books on tea leaf reading now. There are websites that give you a dictionary of possible symbols, but it's like interpreting a dream. You know, um, a snake to one person is not the snake to the next person. You know, some people love them. Some people are afraid of them. Some people have had a bad experience with them. Some people have three as pets. And to each of those people, a snake is going to mean something different. You know, in Chinese astrology, a snake means one thing. In Native American uh, symbology, it means something different. So to my grandfather it was completely different. Yep. Yep. And it's interesting too that you say it's snake because I'm a snake in Chinese zodiac. Oh. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm picking you up right now. You're probably picking up on a lot of me right now because everything that you've been saying to me is like hitting really hard today. Yeah, talking about bumblebees as well. Uh, yeah. My nickname's B. <laughs> To those who are very close to me, my nickname's B. <laughs> so it's like, you know, Rissa, is there like any books that you would recommend? I mean, I was on Llewellyn earlier and it mm -hmm. had tea magic mm -hmm. for beginners. I've read that book. Yeah. Is I've it good? Um, it's a great book. I I enjoyed reading it. There were some things from it that were useful to me and others I set aside, just like any informational book. Um, if you want to learn to follow your intuition, though, it's a practice. You can't learn it from a book. Um, I would, this is, this is going to sound so open-ended and maybe moderately frustrating. Um, I would either get a sketch pad or a journal or something with both kinds of pages and learn to deeply listen to yourself, to 
I'm not literally. artistic by any means. I it kind of skipped my generation for my mom. Don't don't judge yourself. Don't judge your art. I can you only have, draw stick figures. <laughs> that's okay. That's a great beginning. That's uh, there are people who've made entire artistic careers out of stick figures. So you yeah you're I I'm picking up a lot of self judgment from you right now, and you you don't have to do that. You can you can choose to let that go. I've been telling her that for the last three years now. So. Oh, <laughs> you, you truly, you, everybody has creativity in them. It takes different forms and it's okay if we don't all draw as well as, you know, the great Renaissance painters. I certainly don't. Um, and, you know, it took me a long time to accept my style of drawing. Um, it, it didn't look exactly like my dad's. It didn't look like any art teachers that I ever worked with. And then I finally realized that that's okay. It doesn't have to look like that. It has to look like my drawings. And um, you you weren't on, I don't think you were on when I showed you the, the smoke soot drawings. But um, oh, when I goodness. first, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll show you one. Um, these don't look like drawings at all. They are figures made with soot. So um, they, they take their own shape and they are their own entity and they carry their own messages and meanings. And I have learned to love the beauty in the soot because it there's nothing else like it. I've actually had soot drawings in art galleries now because they're so unique and uh, people really responded well to them. They've all sold. So there's, there's that release of judgment that will really open your third eye. And that's like where, you know, back when I was younger, because, you know, back when we were youngins, I'm saying that because I'm older than Fox. ADD and ADHD was so prevalent that I was placed on medication and it blocked a lot of my gifts away. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm that's, scared that's to open that thing. up again because it's like overwhelming again, you know? Yeah, it's like throwing open the garage door and letting the light in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fox can tell you now that I'm starting to open it again. It's like he's even getting flashes of what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, um, especially with you, everything is uh, coming in all at once or, you know, in a row, the one day or the one night it's this and the other night it's that. Um, and then, Rosa, I had a question because I don't really talk much about my gift, but this is going to sound crazy. It's like the sixth sense, but I see and talk to dead people. Is I think can, that's okay. I do too. Is tea leaf reading okay to use in that too, where you can use it to help facilitate that communication? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's a book, what is it called? I do have a book to recommend to you. I just have to rattle my brain around here and remember the name. I'm gonna step off camera for one second. I have the book title right over here. Yeah, no, of course, of course. This is I love someone, this conversation. This yeah, is this, this is fun. this it's is really some hitting stuff. today. This one's really hitting hard. Well, good. You uh you need this right now. And this is another one of those reasons why I always, you know, try to get you on as a co-host. 
We know there are no coincidences. We're all here today together for a reason. And each one of us has something to share with the other. So, and I, I truly believe no coincidences. I, um, so, you know, I've worked as a journalist as well and was formerly trained in journalism and they teach you in journalism school. There are no coincidences in a story. You have to figure out the connection. And I don't think in life you have to figure out the connection, but I do believe there are no coincidences in the story. That's so how the, him and I met. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so the book is called, that I'm going to recommend to you, The Book of Seances, A Guide to Divination and Speaking to Spirits by Claire Goodchild. And that's C-L-A-R-E, Goodchild. It was published by Little Brown and Company, and you should be able to find it at most booksellers, since Little Brown is a pretty big pretty big name in the publishing industry. But um, I, I listened to it first as an audiobook, and I liked it so much I bought a copy because it was so well written. There are divination guides in it to literally using tarot cards and tea and scrying mirrors specifically for speaking to other world entities. And I, I use that phrase because I, yes, I, I do both see and hear dead people just like you, but there's other stuff out there too, other things, other beings. And um, in, I, I, will I will repeat the name of the book. It's The Book of Seances, A Guide to Divination and Speaking to Spirits by Claire Goodchild, and Claire is spelt in the old-fashioned way, C-L-A-I-R-E. But um, I think never, that- I think can that- never be a short title. No, and uh, just to be clear, I, I do not get any money from this publishing company, author, or book. This is truly no, just, that's, a that's just It's truly recommendations. just a recommendation. Yeah. Recommendations are always welcome. You know, we can yes. we can all learn from that. So. I did so find she, it. I appreciate that. I'm going to probably get that with my yeah, next t-shirt. She breaks down casting and um, cartomancy and all of these things in different ways than I have specifically seen it used before. And um, she talks about spirit boards. And I, I'm not a superstitious person about spirit boards. I understand that um, the spookiness around the Ouija board came from Hollywood, not from the spirit board itself. And um, because I, I am a student of history. So um, literally all of the demonology with the spirit board came from Hollywood. So thank you, California, for that. But... Um, <laughs> The spirit board things. itself, yeah, the spirit board itself is a great way for communicating and it is a useful tool, just like all these other things are tools. The tea is a tool, the cards are a tool, the runes or stones that you cast or bones are a tool. And anything that you're using as a tool has to have your intention behind it. So if you, if you haven't cleared your space, if you are walking into it, like, completely wide open with no intention. Yeah, you might get some dark things that come through because they're there too. There's always light and shadow. That's the way the world works. And um, it's a good thing. We need both. I mean, imagine how weird it would be to look at any of us with no shadows. That would be kind of strange. So um, I always accept that, yes, there are shadow entities. And yes, there are people and animals that are damaged and they have 
darker ways of seeing than I do. And that's okay. You know, you have to meet these people, animals, entities where they are and understand that that's how they see the world. And it's not wrong. It's how they see the world. I, I'm not personally like a mass murderer, but I understand that something made the person that way. It doesn't mean I want to channel them. It doesn't mean I necessarily want to cross paths with them. But also I understand that in a world in balance, there is darkness. Everybody has a story. Yes. Just some, some stories just don't have a happy ending or exactly. a happy beginning. Or I say, or a happy beginning. Yeah. That's interesting yeah. though. Cause like, you know, I was raised in the vegan world and I was always told don't mess with the Ouija board. Don't ever mess with it. And you're telling I, me it's okay. It's like, I can't find any actual history that it was ever intended for anything other than regular spirit communication. They used it, it in the White House mind. during Lincoln's administration to speak to their son. This is crazy to me, though, you know, because it's like you read all of these things and it's like, and then now I'm being told it's okay to use it. It's like, it's your it's your decision. I can't make that choice for no, you. Just, it's it's mind blowing to think that you know it's okay to use. It's just you just need to have a clear mind for it. You do. You need to have a clear mind and a clear space. But um, you know, there's a lot of um, folks who are afraid of tarot cards and runes because they think that you can use them to summon dark entities or demons. My I answer was that is way for a while. My answer is it depends on what your intention is. Is that yeah. your intention when you pick up that deck of cards? You know, if you if you look long enough into the shadow, it will answer you. But um, if you are not looking into the shadow and you're trying to speak to your ancestors, that's who's going to come through. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's a tool. It really depends on how you use that tool. Absolutely. Like you, can, you, you can use a hammer to build a house or you can use a hammer, you know, on someone down on someone else yeah or to yeah. to tear it down it's just it's a matter of how you use it and that really makes me think with the, the spirit board with the ouija board because everybody has that that vision of you know oh it's so bad and so dangerous that that's the the energy they're putting into it so exactly. maybe that's also the energy that they're getting out of it you know if you're already going into something you know, scared, afraid, nervous, then that's the energy you're getting back as well. That's exactly. that makes that makes a lot of sense. Actually. You know, I always encourage people to understand the story of anything. And in the world of divination, um, the Ouija board, the spirit board is fairly new. Um, the only thing newer that I know of is the uh, magic eight ball. And I don't know if you would actually consider that a tool of divination or just a fun game. But um, the Ouija board is, uh, was in Baltimore, Maryland, and it was created first by a lawyer, actually, named Elijah Wood. And um, his intention with it was to cash in on the spiritualist movement. He wanted to make <laughs> a, a system of divination that you needed no special gift to use and that anyone could bring into their home to connect with their loved ones. It was around, the, it was right after the Civil War, and it was right around the uh, time of World War I. And a lot of people, a lot of people had lost loved ones, both mostly young men, but also young women who were working as nurses. They wanted to be able to feel like they could find that connection again and to hire a medium 
was very expensive. Only the yeah. wealthy could do it. So uh, Elijah Wood's creation brought divination to the masses. It made it possible for people to seek their loved ones again. And um, in 1920, there was a court case and it was found by a judge that the Ouija board was not a, a tool for contacting the devil after all of the evidence was presented. He said it was just a fun toy. And so um, that was the legal take on it. Um, but uh, the Ouija board was incredibly popular and not considered scary at all until um, what happened in history was called the satanic panic. Yeah, and, um, which is repeating itself. Again. Yes, it's, it is it's actually, coming back. It is it's actually, I, I have had people say, are you afraid someone's going to burn you at the stake? And I'm like, well, if that's my fate, so be it, I'll go for it. <laughs> we all die somehow, but um, no one, no one gets out alive. But um, that said, I encourage you to look at the book of seances or get the audiobook. She does break down the history of the spirit board in even more detail than what I just did. And um, she reiterates what I just told you that I found in my own research. And that was in the class from Harvard as well, that it is just a tool. And um, it was Hollywood movies, in fact, that created the darkness around it. It was not the people using it. It was not the um, almost um, two generations or more of people that used it um, after the various wars in uh, the last century to reach out to their lost sons and daughters. Hmm. I like that. I really like this. When, when you really look at it that today. way, the spirit board has a, a really compassionate and warm meaning. And if you want to want, find one that just doesn't have that word Ouija on it, if that word scares you or makes you uncomfortable, there are beautiful spirit boards out there now made by companies besides the Ouija. Well, Ouija is now owned by, I think, Parker Brothers, um, but um, that have uh, beautiful drawings of like herbs and flowers. I, I have one that's not here and it's actually a circle. It's not even, a, it's not the rectangle. It is, um, it has the beautiful spherical shape and it has um, wood etchings on it of sage and lavender. And um, I've never had a negative experience with it. It's just a beautiful tool that has symbology of very peaceful and um, magical plants that are protective. So I, I don't ever feel at all worried using it. It's just, it's just a piece of wood. And um, what happens with it is what I ask it to do. Hmm. I just, I, I can't even talk right now. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't ever want to make you feel uncomfortable. No, it's not that. It's just everything that has been said today, it's just like I needed to hear it today. Like everything. Yeah. Because Fox can tell you I've been struggling the last few weeks yeah you've been been so dealing with some uh, some things and it's it's funny you know breath of fresh air honestly like yeah i'm actually breathing if that makes sense it does make sense and i'm so glad i can help facilitate that for you and that's I where mean, i was like i was telling stein i'm like i am so happy that i have today off because then i can learn more and it's just it's just a nice pressure breath there now do you see why i always you know ask you to co-host especially on you know when i have guests like brissa on yeah i mean i'm, and I'm not has a good calming energy i like it 
Thank you. <laughs> you know, I want yeah. to share a small piece of my personal history with you. It wasn't, I, this wasn't always me. I spent a lot of years feeling lost and like I didn't know my way forward. And I, I fell into the traps of superstition and fear. And I didn't want to accept who I was. Um, I swung hard away from my talents and gifts, um, all of them, including my ability to write and my art, all of it. And I just, um, I did other jobs. I was a miserable person. I was physically ill. I was incredibly grumpy. <laughs> and um, a lot of things in my life were ignored and not tended to. And as I have gone down the path, I can tell you that when you find your way through to let go of fear and you find your authentic voice again and the pieces click in place, it is a relief. You, are, you feel safe as yourself and you lose that gut-wrenching fear that gnaws and gnaws and gnaws at your the edge of your mind and even your physical well-being and those things just vanish they let go it's not as easy as in a movie don't get me wrong like i've watched movies where <laughs> you see a character suddenly have a revelation and then within 10 minutes everything's great it, it does it takes longer in real life it takes longer than that um, because you do have to do the work and you do have to say why am i afraid for example, why am I afraid of a Ouija board? An actual Ouija board from the Parker Brothers Company is a piece of cardboard. Um, and then say to yourself, like, I'm not afraid of another piece of cardboard. Why am I afraid of this piece of cardboard that's made in a factory? It doesn't even have anybody's energy in it. It's a factory produced piece of cardboard. Break it down and start at the beginning. And then as you step forward again, things look a lot less scary and, um, you know, I, I've also been studying finally after all these years of wanting to do it to become an herbalist. And I, I met my first level certifications. I am working towards a totally different life and it feels so authentic and it feels so easy. But you know, when you're looking at the world of plants, there are poisons, there are deadly toxins, but they also have medicine. And it's important to understand both sides that, you know, a plant can kill you or heal you. And that's super real from a you know a scientific point of view, and you just have to you have to have an understanding of what you're doing, and you have to let go of a fear of of what you're looking at. I love that. Sorry, I'm just I'm speechless today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just means all the all the right notes are uh, are being hit. That's that's a good thing. That's definitely a good thing. This is all very fascinating, and I have learned a lot already. And I I feel like this is only this is all just surface level, and there's just so much more to it. And yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm very very happy that you uh, that you wanted to come on. Um, I mean, it was a pleasure. I've, I've really enjoyed meeting you both, even though we're in different parts of the world. I feel like yeah. you both, I feel like we have a great understanding. It's wonderful. Well, yeah. it's nice to have a fellow American that I can talk English with instead of having <laughs> Fox talking Dutch. And I'm like, eh? 
Hey, I have only done two shows in Dutch so far. Okay, I I, I know I have an international audience. That's why I try to do English. But when I can, you know, when I can speak my mother language, when I can speak my mother tongue, I do it. Don't you? You're always picking on me. <laughs> See what I have to deal with. <laughs> well, you know, I actually um, I I do have an international clientele as well, and I have done. I've done written readings in French because I I don't hear uh, French as well as I can write it. So I have done uh, French translations. I have tarot cards in um, English, French, and Spanish. So mm -hmm. I I think that it's important to have that connectivity across the world. Um, the more we can share, the more we can see that no matter where we are, we all have common wants, desires, hopes, passions, losses, experiences, the more we can see that the oneness of being alive, um, I think it's a good thing. We're only human after all, so. Exactly. Yeah, no, this was, this was absolutely amazing, absolutely fascinating. And yeah, I, I definitely want to, uh, to look into this this more i'm already subscribed to your uh, your newsletter so i'm <laughs> very much looking forward to uh to reading those um i i always always do that you know whenever there's a newsletter if it's a guest that i you know want to have on or am having on you know gotta know a bit about uh you know about what they're about so yeah yeah thank you thank you very much um, so i did have a question before we oh, wrap sure. up Sure, go ahead, Ben. Um, Rissa, I'm Stein can tell you I am very guilty in putting lots of sweetener in my tea. Mm. I have to. I'm a southern girl. I was raised on southern sweet tea. <laughs> I know something... I know southern sweet tea. I've lived in both North Carolina and Kentucky. My family's from Texas. Mm -hmm. So is there something you would recommend for somebody like myself mm -hmm. who loves sweet in their tea that doesn't clump up the tea leaves and make it hard to read? I have two suggestions for you. Um, the first would be to try just a small bit of straight up sugar. Um, I usually carry organic sugar with me to my readings, but my teaspoon is tiny. Um, well, my cups are tiny too, as you saw. Like this little cup doesn't need a ton of sugar. Uh, it's probably literally a measurement of about a half a cup of liquid in here. So um, a, just a little bit of sugar when the water's very hot will dissolve smoothly. Or you can make simple syrup. I don't, do you know what simple syrup is? Water and sugar. It's water and sugar. Yes, exactly. That's been cooked down. And you know, the other great thing is you can flavor simple syrup and it won't affect the tea leaf reading. So you can make lavender simple syrup if you want it to be soothed during your reading, or you can make rose simple syrup with edible rose petals um, and hibiscus simple syrup. They're all really gorgeous to look at and they will dissolve nicely mm -hmm. into the hot water and they won't affect the tea the way honey or milk or cream will good to know because yeah. i was like wait a minute she's talking about drinking tea straight i can't do it <laughs> well you know um it's funny we all we talked about harry potter i get a lot of younger clients seeking uh, a tea leaf reading and they've never had tea before ever and they taste that you could just see they're like 
you know, it's it's bitter, <laughs> it's really tart. And they're like, uh-oh, I can't drink the tea. Um, so I always have to have something to help um, those kinds of folks get that tea down. Um, I have found that the little packets of stevia are okay. Um, they don't clump it up. Um, so if you want like a low calorie sweetener, stevia will also work. Hmm. That's good to know. Cause like yeah. Fox can tell you, I sweeten my tea. <laughs> yeah. Badly. Yeah. You had me try sweet tea and filmed it. Um, <laughs> I'm guilty. And I sent it to your parents. I'm guilty. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's an experience, sweet tea. <laughs> it, it is a cultural difference. And, um, <laughs> you know, not everybody puts milk in tea, but there are places where that's just very commonly done. Uh, Thank it's, you, because yeah. someone understands yeah. Fox. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, understanding food as a cultural expression is is like a whole field of study. It's absolutely fascinating. And when I took folklore in college, we, it's called foodways. You understand the foodways of a culture are part of its expression and identity. But yeah, sweet tea is part of the identity of the South, just like cream tea is part of the identity of Southern Britain. It's just really good to know that I can still do it yeah. and have my sweet tea. I mean, Absolutely. I've gotten better and I don't do it in my nighttime tea, but I've gotten better. Absolutely. And, you know, as you experiment with different teas, um, I there's a very famous tea leaf reader named Amy. She's in Canada and um, she uses only rooibos tea, which is naturally sweet. That is her preferred leaf to read with. It is not from the tea plant, not from the uh, camomile plant, but it is what she likes to see in the cup. And I have done rooibos tea, but I really prefer like a Darjeeling, like I said, or Earl Grey. I like the black tea in the cup. But after years and years of looking at teacups, you'll know what you want to see. You'll know the tea that's easiest for your eyes that you can intuit. So as someone who is blind as I am, because I have to wear glasses as well. Yes, is I have there a specific tea leaf that you would recommend for people to be able to use? When you're starting, use whole leaf. I use cut tea because I can see more in it now that I have an experienced eye. That's how I get this. That's how I get all of this is from using cut tea. But when you're beginning, it's easier to learn using whole leaf teas. Um, the kind that you might find from like a tea purveyor that um, sells like the loose tea and that's not in a tea bag. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. Cause like yeah. one of my, mom's acquaintances owns a tea shop here so there you go go in and talk to them and say i need tea that when it's uh floating in the cup is is a big tea leaf and they will know what you're talking about the, the kind of tea i use is technically called cut and sift and i like it because i get a lot of little pictures and it gives me more and more information but i didn't start there um and, and you know even beyond where I am, I, I have used matcha a few times, but matcha is even finer. And the pictures it leaves in a cup, unless you drink it all, of course, um, the pictures it leaves in a cup are even smaller and harder to see. I cannot do that without the aid of my Photoshop friend. And um, it, my other advice to you is if you have trouble seeing the cup, get a good magnifying glass. Um, you can pick them up almost anywhere, Target, whatever. 
um, any kind of um, drugstore is going to have them. And, you know, I, I always say I feel like Sherlock Holmes when I'm using it at uh, <laughs> an in-person reading, but I get out my, my spyglass and I take a look at it and it, it, you can get them in different magnifications too. My only thought for that is plastic ones are cheaper, but they get kind of blurry and cracked with, within a yeah. year. Um, a glass one will last you a lifetime. Good to know. Yeah. Like I said, when I teach tea leaf reading, there's a lot of this technical stuff involved. Um, but once you have all the gear, you're ready to go. You just have to practice. It is a practice. Well, it definitely sounds fun. Thank you for answering those because it just all of a sudden hit me as we were wrapping up. I was like, wait a minute. I need to ask about my sugar addiction. Oh, no. it's yeah, it's totally fine and it's workable. That's I mean, I, I drink my coffee straight as, you know, as you should, but okay, I guess, you know. <laughs> no, but teasing that's... me over my tea. Well, you keep bullying me over pretty much anything. <laughs> At least I don't drink espresso <laughs> straight. Gross. <laughs> that's but uh... It just, it makes it easier to know that I can actually add something to it. So I'm not like, Oh gosh, it's so bitter. I can't do this. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I even do this for children who are Harry Potter fans. So if, if I, they can get it down with a little bit of sugar, you know, spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. That is true. And then Rissa, now that you've mentioned littles, um, my little one has been experiencing a lot of things in his short little life. If I were to want to do a tea reading with you, is it on your website? It absolutely is. And um, I, I think you're easier in the United States. So yes, I can do it for you for anywhere in the world, but if you want it specifically for him, um, it would be helpful if he drank the cup of tea. Okay. Cause I know he'll drink it. He's like me. Sorry, Fox. I know you don't like sugar in your your drinks, but he's like me, so uh, it's um, it's is there it's any, fine. Like he <laughs> likes his mango passion fruit tea. Would I be able to like cut open the tea bag and let him drink it? Absolutely. And then send you a picture of it, and we go from there. Absolutely. Okay, I can do that. Uh, and where I might one book one of those readings with you? At teaandsmoke.com. Oh, that's easy to remember. Easy to yeah, remember. That. Simple and straightforward. A lot better than the, the title of that book, which was... Which was, full... yeah, about a dozen words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else that you uh, that you wanted to promote? Anything that you're, uh, you're currently working on? that you, uh, you wanted to share with, the, with mm. the public? Well, you all had asked about me teaching tea leaf reading. I am teaching as part of a virtual conference coming up called Botanica Obscura. It is run by an herbalist from South Florida in the United States named Colby Michael. He is a best-selling author as well. And uh, Botanica Obscura has over 30 teachers from around the world, um, Latin America, North America, Europe, 
and um, it, it covers all kinds of plant magic from divination to rituals. Sorry. <laughs> it, it's, um, it goes on for two weeks. And once you buy your ticket, you can get recordings of the classes. So it is a fantastic opportunity. I will be teaching tea leaf reading. And um, just about any kind of plant magic or ritual, or even some of it is plant science. Um, it's, it's an incredible conference. It's all online and it's available across the world. Date night idea, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, God. Yeah, I knew this was <laughs> this was going to happen. <laughs> no, that's that's perfectly fine. I um, I should look more into uh, into this anyway, kind of broaden my my spectrum on the, the divination aspects um, well you know the cool thing about the conference plants are here with us too on this planet and a lot of people take them for granted but they are what tea is made of they are what you burn when you're burning incense and um they're a big piece of this world so it's cool to know more about them yeah that's that it is we have a big um like a big botanical garden here in my uh, my hometown, which is linked to the uh, the university, the the Hortus Botanicus. Oh, um, very cool! Yeah, it's really it's it's awesome. I've been there a few times on the uh, on the solstices. There, mm -hmm. there's always something, you know, spectacular going on with the solstice. They have some rare plants there. Mm -hmm. um, it's really it's really cool. I should visit that soon again. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for, uh, for coming on. I definitely had a, I had a lot of fun. I had a blast. My mind has been expanded even more. Um, mine has um, been blown, so I need to go get some more tea. <laughs> <laughs> Here's to that. Thank you both for having me. It was a pleasure to meet kindred spirits. Yes, it definitely. And to everyone watching to everyone listening thank you all for doing so thank you for listening thank you for watching thank you to everyone who was in the live chats don't forget to like this video share it with everyone who you think may be interested um or you know just share it make them interested um subscribe um or risa her links i should have them all in the description already um i will look up the um, the book and the uh all the other things i'll i'll put all the all the links in the description so yeah thank you all have a good day and until next time see ya <laughs>